All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and as always, Jens Vogt. Jens, what's new in the zoo? Oh, zoo is the right word. Did I ever tell you that they had some wolf sightings not too far from where I live? Last week. I managed, <laughs> yes, I managed to capture them on my little wildlife camera. Oh, you so did? So I got a little five-second video clip and I got a few photos of wolves moving at night. So I found the right spot and I got uh, pictures of wolves. Not crystal clear sharp, but it's clearly a wolf. We are so happy and excited. You are glowing right now. I wish our viewers could see you. You're so proud of yourself. <laughs> yes, I am actually. I'm pretty proud. Even my wife said, wow, that was pretty impressive. It only took you a week to find the right spot and get the pictures. So yeah, we, we are super excited about it. Um, and uh, now we probably try to get some more and better pictures. There you go. There you go. Well, um, before I tell you about my week, I just want to start by saying, you know, we want to send out our best wishes to Egon Bernal. You know, he obviously had a accident recently and we just want to wish him all the best. Um, just be safe out there, folks. But um, other than that, man, I tell you, it's been cold here in, in South Carolina. Um, over a week now, it's starting to warm up a little bit. And thank goodness for indoor run uh indoor riding platforms they've they've kind of saved my sanity but um i also i don't know if i've told you this yet yenzi i've also committed to running my first marathon in november so slowly but surely you know getting the chassis up to speed which basically meant walking around my neighborhood for five six seven k for a week or two and now i'm starting to get the run going you know used to run a little bit for cross training when I was a junior transitioning to amateur for, for cycle cross and a little bit as a pro, but I couldn't really get into it. It, it. It's not my passion, but I figure, you know, I'm 50 now, try something different, start from the ground up, learn a new sport. And hopefully in November, um, do a good marathon. Well, Bobby, is that a sign of a late midlife crisis or what's going on here, my friend? No, uh, I must say I wouldn't have pulled this out of um, the hat myself, but um, I work for a company now and uh, one of the, the, the sports scientists, he has a son uh, with Down syndrome and basically down syndrome is his son has a third copy of the 21st chromosome so a couple years ago his name is robbie ketchell his son's name is wyatt uh he ran the new york city marathon with the the 321 project so three hours 21 minutes and he did not succeed so we as a company are not all athletes uh there's there's people of all ages and athletic abilities, but we are as a company training for the New York City Marathon to help and support him, uh, hopefully succeed in in running a three hour and 21 minute marathon. And that's my goal. Um, that may be a little steep because like I said, I'm not a runner, but I'm gonna give it a, give it a shot, see what happens. Good cause, good project, love it. And I will follow up on the progress, my friend. Yeah, you can you can you know check my Strava. I'm too cheap to go out and buy a Garmin 
or Phoenix watch. So I just run with my little um, uh, Garmin head unit that I use for my bike. So if you see that it's marked as a cycling event, it's actually a running event. But um, yeah, a lot going on uh, in the cyclocross world. You know, definitely over the weekend, last, you know, the riders putting their final, final touch on their form before they jump across the pond over here to the U.S. for the World Championships in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You know, a lot going on there. Obviously, we know in the, on the men's side, at least, that, that two of the big kind of names won't be there. But, you know, our boy Tommy P is going to be there. Uh, Eli Ezerbeet is going to be there. Uh, well, hopefully. So it's going to be a, a great race. Marianne Voss won the, the last race, uh, the last World Cup of the year. Um, a few weeks ago, you picked Tom Pidcock and Lucinda Brand to win the World Championships. Are you sticking with those predictions or are you going to move on from that a little bit? Well, no, there's no reason at all to change uh, from Tom Pidcock. Um, like we just talked about, two big names are out. Basically, the only two ones they would be able to beat him. Um, so, yep, yeah, I stick with him. And yes, of course, Lucinda Brandt. Yep, I'm sure that's um, the two uh, future world champions. Be hard to disagree, but next week we'll know. And um, talking about next week, well, we've already had the road season kick off a little bit down in uh, Valencia there, but we have the Mallorca races coming up. So soon the season will be in full swing. But uh, before that, we want to introduce our guest today. Um, he was always a very friendly face in the Peloton for years and years. Just a nice guy from Germany that happened to speak perfect English. Uh, we've discussed in earlier episodes that speaking English in the Peloton in the late 90s was a rarity. And I, for one, gravitate, gravitated towards those, those, those riders. And yeah. Friendships were made, casual bonds were made, at least some communication was made. But yeah, as a writer, he was a super friendly guy, very dedicated domestique for the mighty Rabobank team for, for years and years. He retired in 2013 and stayed in the sport of cycling, becoming a coach and a sports director. He worked with young riders and development teams and now is a sports director for the mighty Jumbo Visma team. Will be great to hear his story of his introduction into the sport, you know, being German, racing for a Dutch team, um, and his role now, especially as a DS for one of the strongest teams in the world. So please get comfortable and enjoy our conversation with Grisha Nierman. Hello, Grisha, and welcome to Bobby and Jens. Yes, hi, Bobby. Hi, Jens. Man, it's been quite a while. So um, thanks, number one, for coming on our podcast. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, but before we dive into the interview, um, so you're you're at home right now, right? You just got finished with a training camp. Is that correct? Yes, we had a training camp in Spain and now I'm home and uh, I will probably stay home now for until the end of February till the, the first races. My first race will be a Drome and a Dash Classic in France and then heading to Paris. So time at home, but I guess um, since you're still working for the team, you call the guys up on a daily base or you go, you know what, 
I call you every day during the season, but for now, I let the guys train at home or you keep in contact every day with emails or, or, or you call them up? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always a lot to do. Eh? You always have, uh, have things to do, a lot of... Uh, of course, a lot of contact also with the coaches, also also with the riders. But uh, yeah, also in in, in this uh, uh, phase of the year, I, I try to let them uh, alone a little bit more than than during the season. Uh, they they uh, prepare. Most of the guys have been on training camp now. Now they're home for a week. Next week they they go to Tenerife on altitude, so uh, they are probably also happy when uh, they are not disturbed uh, by their sports directors every day. And, and it's also a bit different, like the, uh, of course, our trainers, uh, uh, that do the daily uh, training schedules. Of course, they have like real daily contact uh, with the riders and, and then our sports directors, everybody is uh, responsible for like four or five riders. And, and, uh, then of course, there's also a lot of contact, but it's uh, at least in, in this phase of the year, it's not necessarily like every morning that I call Primos and ask him how he's doing. Yeah, uh, remember those days. There's always something. Your phone is always ringing, either early in the morning at meal times, late at night. But um, hey, before we get into all all into that, like you know, obviously we've known each other a long time. We've raced together a long time. But I didn't know. I I need to ask you about your your amateur days with Continentale Olympia. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but when I was 16 years old, I made the first hop across the, the pond with the national team in like 1988 for the junior Dusica tour in Austria. I don't know if they even have that anymore, but it was like a pretty big thing. So we did that race and then we were based out of Germany and there was a gentleman that hosted our national team. His name was Ernst Klausmeier. Uh, who I believe ran that team. Kai Huntermark was a big rider on it. Uh, Ralph Aldag um, was was there as well. And and we as juniors were just like in awe. Was was that the same organization that that you rode for, uh, Mr. Klaus Meyer? Yes, of course. Huh? That's the the okay. Klaus Meyer dynasty. That's like a. Yeah, the family from Dortmund. Uh, uh, they also ran the the six days in Dortmund. They, they ran the uh, the Olympia Dortmund uh, uh, cycling team, which was first an amateur team, then turned into a yeah, what was it called then? Trade team two, or trade team three, and uh, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, these days before my time was also the team of uh, Eric Sabel, and uh, and that's where also I spent uh, three years before I I went to Rabobank. So, uh, yeah, you went to Rabobank and you spent your entire career with them. And that's pretty rare these days. I mean, me, I had three teams in my entire career. People change normally a lot more often. Why, why was that? You, you felt happy there at home right away? Uh, did you never thought about, hey, why don't I see something else? Or you were always happy the way it worked over there? I think, uh, first of all, uh, you guys know that... Uh it's rare to to find a, to have a sponsor that that sponsors a cycling team for such a long period eh? that that the team can exist for such a long period. So that was unique to start with, and and yeah, I always felt comfortable there. I went there in uh, 1999 and uh, stayed my whole career until 2012, and and yeah, even after that, I, I was a sports director of the Rabobank development team, which was then basically in a different organization because it went under the wings of the the Dutch Federation, but. Yeah, I, I like the yeah the the Dutch uh, 
how do you call that attitude and and i always felt uh, comfortable on the team and i never really saw the reason to to swap teams yeah that that's that's truly truly awesome that you could stay with one organization for so long but let's let's go back to okay so you had a a very long career with the same team and then when there was a little bit of a sponsor change there, if I if I understand. But the Rabobank development team kind of, you just said, worked with the national team. And you were there for, for what, four, four years? Four years, yeah, yeah, four years working in, with them as well. At the end of 2012, Rabobank, they, they pulled out of, uh, of cycling. Um, and, uh, and they, but they had a, they had a commitment for four more years. So with the professional men's team, they said, okay, here, you have some money, but we don't want to be uh, on the Jersey anymore uh, after, after all the doping scandals. And, and then, uh, they, they committed more or less to, to their, uh, yeah, to what they, to what they would do with the women's and with the development team. And the development team then came yeah under the wings of the, the Dutch Federation, the, the KMVU. And uh, I spent my first years as a trainer coach uh, uh, there. That's, I think, also the last time I met you, Bobby, because uh, we had Antoine Toluk, who was uh, uh, becoming a stagiaire for, for Saxo Bank back in the days. And, and uh, I think then we had a few few phone calls when you were DS or trainer there. Yeah, I remember that well. I remember that well. Um, so So talking about that, you know, we've all known young riders that have kind of come up and become icons of the sport. You know, we had Andy Schleck on last week, which was, you know, very similar. Who are some of the guys that were on the Rabobank development team that are now those marquee guys in the sport that you've worked with for, you know, since, since they were under 23s? Yeah, I think from the, from the period that I was there from 2013 on, uh, we had uh, Dylan van Baale, Mike Tönisse was there, uh, Sam Omen, then uh, yeah, Timo Rosen, quite a lot of guys that uh, that are riding for our team. Antoine Toluk, we just mentioned. It was also a little bit the yeah turning point of the of the team because of of course the Dutch Federation they only wanted Dutch riders on the team, and so the years before there were always at least a few uh, uh, top class uh, world class uh, riders from uh, from uh, other nations, but. Uh, after after uh, we we came to the Dutch Federation, of course they they want to have a, a pure Dutch team, and I think uh, Rick Sabel and Rubens Lepunte they were the last the two Germans. They were the last foreign riders on uh, on the uh, uh, Rabobank development team, and uh, since then for four years it was only or for three years it was only a totally Dutch team. So there were some good names in the team, I guess, and uh, they still active these days. So I believe that then qualified you for bigger jobs. And then how did you develop or how did you get from the under 23 development team into the position where you are now? Was it a slow process or somebody just called you up? Hey, you want to be our big man in the team? Or how did you develop into, into the Christian Niemann of today? Yeah, to start with, I think when I, when I, uh, when I stopped, uh, my uh, professional career and and I knew and I had an offer to to be a sports director trainer on the development team I was uh, I was not 100% convinced that that would be the right path because I was I thought then uh, I, I will be at the under 23 uh, I will be forgotten straight away and nobody knows me anymore with the pros and uh, and 
uh, it turned out and I found out really straight away more or less that that was really the best thing that that could happen to me and I went to the races uh, uh, to start with uh, at Arthur van Dongen who is now my colleague he, he was the the manager of the the Rawbank development team at that time and my my colleague sports director I learned a lot from him uh, but then I went to all the races that I did I went there myself I had to find out everything myself and learn my own way of, of doing and and when you when you become a sports director after retiring and going into the world tour you always have two three four other guys with you around you and and then uh, you can also learn the trade but i think that really uh, uh learning it on a smaller team on a development team without uh, the pressure of being in the tour de france is, is the best that that you can do and it's also like really really great to to work with young talents that uh uh, that 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 want to become professional and that still live their dream of of uh, yeah going on the bike trying to to get the best out of themselves and and it was a really really nice four years that I had on that team. It was basically more or less clear that Rabobank they wouldn't wouldn't continue sponsoring uh, the development team with which had also quite a big budget um, after these four years after two thousand sixteen. So Atu, my colleague, he went to what was in Team Sunweb in 2015. Last year on the development team, I was the manager there. And also my duty was to find a, to find a, a new sponsor. I had a few, a few people, a few friends, uh, uh that, that helped me with that. But, uh, of course, uh, we didn't, we didn't succeed. And, uh, uh, but in, in, in these days already, I think in January, February, we knew that Rabobank would stop. They wouldn't continue beyond uh, 2016. And we had talks with, uh, with uh, Team Sunweb then and, and with uh, Lotto Jumbo. And, and at least I knew they were, they were not too keen on, on taking over the development team, but, but I knew that they both wanted to, to have me in their ranks. And, and I choose for, for Lotto Jumbo, which is, which is in the end was my old team. At least I knew a few. Uh, uh, a few guys, a few sports directors, a few riders. Uh, I was always riding myself with Jan Boven, who is now my colleague. Franz Maasen was already then my sports director. Um, still, uh, Robert Gazing, Jos van Ende, um, Steven Kreiswijk, they're still on the team and I was riding with them. And, uh, yeah, it turned, turned out to be, to be the good move. I think, uh, I mean, you know, the story that, uh, after Rabobank turned out, uh, the team became Blanco Pro Cycling, and and I think in 2015, on the on the worst uh, the the worst year of the team, uh, we won we won five races, and and we had the least uh, budget of the of the World Tour, and from there we yeah the the team built up step by step, uh, started already before I came there in, in the beginning of 2017, and and uh, yeah it's it's really great, really nice to see where we are now. Yeah, I mean, where you guys are now, kind of, kind of want to just clarify for our listeners, um, what, what is the sponsor, uh, Jumbo Visma? Like, tell us a little bit about that because we we hear it on on TV and read it in the press, but what is Jumbo and and Visma? Yeah, uh, Jumbo is the 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 biggest Dutch uh, supermarket chain. With a lot of uh, supermarkets in in Holland and in Belgium, and uh, Visma is a is a software company from Norway, and and also they are active all all over Europe, and and they both uh, yeah have committed their sponsorship for many many years. So so we have a really good also financial base that that we can really 
build up the future we can we can have a, a, again a development team because we know we will still be there in five years time uh, we can have uh, uh, the biggest talents on that team we can give contracts for three four five years or how, whatever we want and and really have a have an idea with them for their long-term future and, and that's something of course not every professional cycling team has that and 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 i think everybody is striving for that and that's the big backbone of uh, of the team and it's it's so i mean it's a little bonus but having a sponsor committed for many years also gives you the chance to have some kind of similar design every year and that makes you more recognizable Teams, everybody who knows cycling, if he sees a black and yellow jersey, he goes, ah, Jumbo Visma. You know, it is uh, everybody automatically recognizes your team after so many years. That's also nice and gives just much more stability to the team. Just like you said, you can plan for years and years ahead. Um, but let's see this year. Um, let's talk about the planning uh, for this year. Um, I guess the usual start into the year, the races. Um, how about um, a Wout van Art? He's taking a little break now, not going to the Worlds and Cyclecross, which he could win, I suppose. But he's not going. He's taking a bit of time off. Yeah, now let, let's say uh, he he, has, he was on training camp uh, uh, in Spain and now he's, he's home for, I think, he, he's taking time off. He's a, a week at home. And of course, training, and then then he goes to altitude. So uh, uh, it was just for us. It was really clear that if we want to have the best preparation for the spring, then uh, it doesn't contain a world championship cyclocross in the US in the end of uh, January, because of course it's not flying over there, doing like normal training, flying over there on Friday, coming back Monday morning, and and being totally fit and uh, jumping on a plane going to Tenerife. So. Uh, if he would have done the the uh, worlds, it would have had quite a big impact. And and yeah, with with the uh, sports directors and and the uh, the trainers, we yeah we decided that we really want to prepare the the first part of the year, especially the spring classics, on the in the optimal way. And and yeah, Wout agreed with that. And of course, he, he had a, a short stint at cyclocross, and and he showed that he can he's still capable of. Uh, of doing these races, uh, but yeah, unluckily for him and 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 for his fans, uh, he he won't be in the US for the for for the worlds because for us it was too much of a risk and too much of an yeah interfering too much with his build up to the to the road uh, in spring. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great.
you know, being in your position for so long, you, you've learned a lot and you just kind of explain the reasoning behind the decision that you had to make for, for Wout. Um, like you said, his fans, especially over here, you know, in the U S it's going to be a bummer, but it's understandable because you guys have a process. So back to you and your role in the team, um, with those hard decisions, with that, that planning, um, what is your personal kind of role and leadership style within the team? Yeah, to start with, uh, we have a we have a group of uh, I think fourteen uh, f- four full time trainers and uh, sports directors and nutritionists. That's basically our coaching group, and uh, uh, we have uh, Richard Plugge, who's our our general manager, and then Marijn Zeman, who is basically my direct boss. He's the the sportive manager, and together with Marijn and and Mathieu Haibu, who's the the uh, uh, head of performance, so the the main trainer. Um, like Marine, Mathieu and me, we are the, the sportive management and I'm, yeah, you could call it the, the, the boss of the sports directors. I'm responsible for the, for the racing, uh, program, uh, of the riders. But again, we always do all these things, uh, all together as a group. And, and of course, then, yeah, like Marine, Mathieu and me, we sit together and we make a proposal to the rest of the team and then we talk everything through. But uh, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my role. And um, you just mentioned uh, the name of uh, your boss, uh, Richard uh, Plugge. Um, now, having such a team like yours with the budget, with the names of superb riders, there's got to be sometimes tough decisions to be made. Who is the leader? Who is going home? Who is doing this? Who is supposed to go to what race? Um, how, how does he uh, handle this? What's his philosophy on building such a team? Uh, where did it come from? How did he build up such a team? Yeah, I think that that uh, Richard has a, a, has a big strength and that's, uh, that's trusting... Uh, his uh, his co-workers i would say and and on the uh, when you talk about the sporting side of course richard has to take the the decisions and also hard decisions in contract talks in uh, 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 giving giving somebody uh, a new contract uh, uh, negotiating uh, how many millions uh, you 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 are going to earn on or not and and that that's the the hard decisions he has to take and and i think on the on the sportive side he Of course, he gives his opinion, but uh, but he lets uh, Marine and Mathieu and me um, take the decision. And and when you well, when you talk about the sportive side, I think I, of course, in the end, uh, when we hey, when there is a hard decision, I have a lot to say. But then then you have Marine, who is uh, who who is my boss and who who has to take the really take the responsibility. I would say. Yeah, I mean, we all know the the stars on your team it must be quite a balancing act you know we got sep Kuss with you guys obviously wout primos um jonas you know but but your your organization your management is is top level as well so all the credit to you for for that and to to richard for putting that all together but i liked what you said about him having trust in the people that he hires um, I think that's super important and obviously a great leadership characteristic on behalf of, of Richard. But, um, 
you know, drawing a little bit back to your development days, and I'm always enthralled and excited about young riders. So you guys have, you know, a development team, a women's team, a pro team, but like, who do you see as the riders on the team this year that you're looking forward to seeing them take a step up? Yeah, I think I think there are, there are a lot. I mean, the guys that uh, I I I I'm not gonna say that that I know that that Jonas is gonna take another step up because the step he, he took last year was was so big that he can't take that same step again this year. Huh? So if he consolidates, if he if he has the same level this year again that he that he has had last year, I think then we are all more than happy. Huh? But uh, of course, we have a we have a lot of young guys. We have now. Uh, the neo pros on the team now, uh, uh, the Van Dyke twins, uh, Tim and Mick, and and uh, Michel Hesman, all uh, three like really young guys that uh, still they still need their uh, time to to make their mark with the pros, and they will also uh, do quite a lot of races with the development team still, and uh, they will have like a bit of a of a mixed program. But uh, yeah, we took them on the team because we we are convinced that they. Uh, they they can be really really good professionals and and but it's not that that we expect them to be to win the world championships uh, this year. So th- talking with the young kids, it's probably a little easier because you go yes sir yes sir, but but how about you go hey primos listen yeah I don't think you should do the tour primos why don't you go to the Giro or whatever ah Tom Dumoulin you want to come back yep you're gonna go and try to win the tour how difficult is it to talk personalities like that I mean they already achieved a lot of great results and sometimes you gotta boost their ego and go yes of course you can do it sometimes maybe you gotta slow them down a little bit and go hey easy tiger that's not for today is that is that very difficult or what's your approach there yeah i think that's uh, something we found out within the last years that i would say it's difficult but but it plays quite a big role uh, the management of of the egos eh? like uh, maybe six seven years ago we uh, we we didn't have a single rider that that had that ego and that was capable of winning more than two races a year and now we have a few and we have some of the uh, maybe Wout and Primoz are both within the, the at least the top five of the world world's best riders maybe the top three and 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 of course they have they have all have their own ambitions and I think what what we do is trying to be really honest and open with them and 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 yeah talking trying to to put everything on the table and, and talking about it and not coming to a race and uh uh, going whatever to Paris and then uh, sitting there on on a Sunday morning in the in the bus and saying oh yeah oh we have to figure out if we go for Primos now if we go for Wout this week so let's uh, let's see what, what we are going to do I mean all these things uh, uh, they are they are talked about well in advance and and we we know what we are going to do uh, uh, throughout the year and 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 what what we are planning with with the top riders. Uh, uh, whether they are in the same race, whether they are in different races, but uh, uh, and and of course they also they also have their saying in that, but it's not yeah it's it's also not possible to to have uh, uh, twenty guys on the team that can that can uh, uh, all uh, decide their own program, their racing program. I mean, yeah, I believe you have to plan your work and work your plan, and that's the strength of a great organization is you can have a plan, but you have to actually be able to to pivot from that plan when when things happen and you guys are obviously doing a very very good job at that 
Um, you know, not very often do we get to speak with someone with your experience that we race with. You know, we remember going to races without buses in the back of cars, you know, not having a hot shower afterwards. But, you know, you've had years and years of experience both on the bike and, and in the car. I would be interested to hear what sticks out in your eyes about how the sport has changed. I mean, every generation, our generation, the generation before that has, you know, probably says to themselves, I wish we had this when we were racing. What, what is that for you that you see that these young riders have that, that, that we didn't have that you think is a very um, advantageous performance advantage? I think looking looking to myself, it's the fact that that I wish somebody would have told me when I was a pro to take it easy when I wasn't feeling well or when I was feeling a little bit sick or all these things. Uh, of course, I had trainers telling me that, but they never listened, and and I only found out where after I stopped and and I found out that uh, three days off the bike you can still you can still ride and it's not like it doesn't feel like you uh, you you you're back uh, your form is back uh, for uh, three months and you have to do a new build up but that's that's personally the by far the biggest uh, takeaway that that I had for myself and that what what helped me a lot uh, in training uh, uh, young riders especially and 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 not only that eh? we we were talking about Antoine Toluk now he was exactly like I was like when he, he didn't feel good he saw that he needs a week of 35 hours to feel better again and then I could tell him but believe me you take a week off now and and then we start uh, we start training again and then you will be better and and it took a while but eventually he listened and and he found it out himself and uh, that's uh, that's my biggest takeaway and in general yeah i think of course the the sport really developed a lot and and uh, it, it becomes even more technical like we try to predict a lot of things as much as possible we uh, we try to figure out how many watts we have to push on the climb and and how what is needed to to win the race uh, uh, they they have personalized uh, the we, we work with food coach personalized program uh, that that tells them exactly how many grams of pasta they are, they should eat in the evening and 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 all these things i think it's just the overall picture that yeah, that is always developing and that is it's really on on a way higher level than it was uh, 10 years or 15 years ago talking about higher level see when i signed my first contract with the french team we were a normal size a good size team we were 35 people the entire team 18 riders few mechanics masseurs sport directors uh, one doctor um, and an osteopath and we had a woman she worked three days a week half a day in the office nowadays how many people are in your team it's got to be more than 60 right like double the size yeah. no so so many that i i can tell you i think 150 with the also we also have an ice skating team of course which also belongs to the team but yeah that's also true i mean also sometimes uh, uh yeah we uh, it it feels it's it's more easy to to go to a, whatever to an altitude training camp being there with uh, with uh, six riders and just a soigneur and a mechanic and and one trainer than uh, than uh, going to the tour de france with uh, with uh, 35 people staff uh, uh, that you all also all have to manage eh? i mean also uh, we we are talking about the riders now uh, uh, like uh, um 
of course they are the ones they get the most uh, the most focus and and they are they have to win the races and we do everything for that but then when when you go to a race you also have a lot of stuff with you and and a lot of stuff i'm talking and and yeah you also have to manage them and you have to make sure that they do their work well and that they feel happy and 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 appreciate it and and that's also that's also a big part of the work of a of a sports director so uh, grisha would you agree it's my my theory To become a good sports director, it doesn't help if you're a superstar. Like probably, I don't know, Lance Armstrong or Greg Lemond or, or Fromey. They were probably terrible sport directors because they never suffered. If you have a rider, a totally hopeless rider who finished dead last every time, I think he's also not... Like me. Not, no, no, no. <laughs> not the best uh, director. I think it has to be a good, solid rider who has experienced some winning. I mean, you did win a few GCs, Niedersachsen 2 in Germany, for example, and also experienced the parts where you don't feel well, right? The, like a rider who has gone through the whole range of emotions... To understand, you cannot always win, but you also cannot always lose. I think they make the best sport directors, not the superstars and not the riders. They, I think it's somebody sort of like, like you, right? That's my yeah. experience. What do you think? I, I agree with you on that. I also think that, that the superstars, they must be really self-centered and, and, and quite selfish. And, and that also doesn't doesn't necessarily make a good sports director but uh, but of course you you need some of that to really wanting to win the races like i i sometimes i i have to laugh with myself because when i was a rider i mean i hardly ever won a race and i was also uh, also yeah i think when i look back my my character was more like uh, working in the front group to trying to to finish uh, a seventh rather than like playing all or nothing to try to win the race and and now i'm basically the total opposite and and uh, i always want to win and luckily i also have uh, have the riders uh, in my team that that do that a lot of times and and uh, i think that yeah also in general uh, my my point of view really is like it it helps a lot being having having uh, the history of being a professional rider uh, in being a sports director but but Also, a professional rider is not necessarily a good sports director, and and I think there are guys from uh, from that whatever. I mean, everybody has something to do with cycling, but but that only race amateurs or that they did the different education and and they're also really really good sports directors. Uh, on our team, we have uh, Mark Ray, for example, now and and Sieg Jan de Haan, uh, and also Marijn Zeeman. Uh, they 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 come from a not from a totally different background, but at least they don't have the history of being a professional rider uh, uh, themselves. Arthur van Dongen also. So I think with us it's like fifty fifty. And uh, for me it's it's important. It's yeah, to being a good sports director, it, it it's not that the basic is you have to uh, you have been professional for ten years and that's all you need. Uh, there's a lot more that, that that's necessary to be a good sports director. You're absolutely right. It takes a unique person to be in that role. But as as a final question, you know, as a director, as a coach, as a leader, you know, you're constantly giving your energy, your focus to others, you know, riders on the team, staff members. What do you do to kind of let a little bit of air out of the balloon during these long tours, during the long season? 
do you still ride your bike? Is there, have you taken up running? You know, is, is what, what is that little kind of release for you? That, that was the single answer. I ride my bike and I do that Good basically man. every morning. Also, when I'm in the Tour de France, when I'm at whatever race, I jump on my bike at seven in the morning and I, I do a little lap and, and then I feel fresh for the rest of the day. Well, hey, Grisha, man, thank you so much for coming on. Wish you, uh, your entire team, you know, development team, pro team, women's team, all the best. You guys are doing the right thing. So keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep getting what you're getting. And um, all the best in 2022. Thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks for being our guest, Grisha. And good luck for the season. Stay safe. Keep the rubber side down. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Grisha for being our guest tonight. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Just like Steve B and Glenn Caton did last week. Mm-hmm.